Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I welcome Bob Latino back to the show to talk about what he's been up to lately. Bob is an expert in reliability and specifically RCAs. Uh, today we talk about RCAs as a system and doing RCAs on systems, as well as what his new book has coming out. So he, he partnered with Sonia Mathura, and they're have a book coming out about RCAs and lubrication and really excited for that book myself and I've already got it on pre-order. Before we get into today's episode, a quick message from our sponsor, NanoPrecise. Hello listeners, this is Steve Doby, one of your hosts of the Maintenance Disrupted podcast. Each week we've been bringing you a machine doctor to the rescue from NanoPrecise, our sponsor, and this week is no different. Machine Doctor alerted an early fault using acoustic emission for an air seal fan and helped a Fortune 500 steel giant save huge amounts of costs and downtime. If you want to find out more, go to nanoprecise.io or send us a message and we'll get you in touch with the NanoPrecise team. Thanks for listening. Now here is your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today we're catching up with Bob Latino. How is it going today, Bob? It's a beautiful day in central Virginia. <laughs> I, I, would, I would complain about the cold here, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's mild compared to who I'm talking to, so I'm going to say it's a sunny day here in Virginia. <laughs> Well, it's wet and rainy and no no snow yet. So I'm sure up at up at the mines here it's uh there's plenty of snow. So um but we haven't had you haven't been on the show in, in quite some time. Uh so and you've had a few changes. Uh so what is what is new with you? Well, there has been quite a few changes. Uh I uh, I left RCI in uh, June June of this year. Uh, I, I stayed, uh, for those who know, we, we uh, had sold RCI. RCI was acquired in November of 19. I hung around for about a year and a half uh, for transitionary type purposes. And in June, it was just uh, time for me to, to roll. And uh, I ended up just... Uh, going to hang out with my brother and his uh, small one-man company uh, uh, called Prelical.com. We raise him a lot about what Prelical means because uh, in his mind, it's the combination of practical reliability, but I fail to see it. <laughs> and he, he will say it's the result of uh, alcohol and a low marketing budget. So, <laughs> uh, Sometimes that's where the best ideas come, right? Uh, yeah. I I don't know stand, how it'll stand out because it's odd. <laughs> there you go. I know I've Googled it a few times when I first heard it. I was like, oh, that's an interesting name. What do they do? So um, I guess on that vein, what does Prelical or Prelical or I'm not even saying it right. Prelical. Prelical. There we go. What does Prelical do? Well, essentially, I, I you know I still have my relationship with Reliability Center, and, and I'm a uh, essentially a bar that, that that can still sell and deliver the the lines of uh, the, the stuff that I you know me and my family created. So that, that's that's been helpful. And uh, Ken, Ken does a lot of work on the APM side, 
and uh, a lot of it with uh, the data analytics, uh, especially the Meridium tool, uh, well, which is GE, APM now, and uh, SAP. So he's, he's a lot on the data side and the data integration side. So, uh, and then of course, you know, just general reliability concepts, uh, which, uh, you know, we were founded on through our father's work about equipment process and human reliability. So we're just uh, working around having fun. And that's, that's <laughs> the, uh, at this point in our life, in our age, uh, you know, you just, uh, you, you want to do something, you want to do things that are fun and you want to do it with fun people. So now we're at that point. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. I know if I went into business with my brother, I think we'd, uh, uh, I think we'd uh, strangle each other pretty quick. So, <laughs> well, I, I could write another book on that about uh, the uh, running a family business for 30 some years. And uh, it's, it brings new meaning to uh, holiday functions that uh, <laughs> you, you see each other at the office all day. Uh, I got to spend Thanksgiving with you too. Oh my God. <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of highs and lows uh, that you go through with, with any uh, the, the dynamics involved in a family business. But uh, in, in the end, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the, mem- the good memories will stand out. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure. Well, it sounds like you're having a good time there and, and that's really what matters at your uh, new place with uh, with Ken. So obviously you were doing a lot with root cause analysis and are you, you're still staying in that space quite a bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I can, like I said, I can still deliver uh, the work RCA courses of uh, whether it's for crafts or managers or uh, or lead analysts through RCI and uh, you know, still uh, can carry the line of the, uh, the, uh, the softwares that are available through uh, reliability center. And I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing a uh, SMRP as you know, is next week. And uh, I'm, I'm doing, I still want to do more work with, uh, I guess with RCA as a field and, and looking at RCA as a system versus a task. And, uh, mm-hmm. and all that involves, you know, how does data flow into it? You know, ideally what we would like a, an RCA system to be and, uh, you know, linking the APMs and the CMMSs and, uh, you know, all of that type of stuff that would make doing an RCA much easier to do if, yeah. the data, if the data was readily available because absent the data being available, we just skip it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like when you, when we're thinking about that and, like APMs are a good solution to start feeding that data through in whatever real-time software. Um, like when you, you're talking about the five P's, right? And, you know, right. this, uh, ooh, trying to make it as easy to collect all those, uh, like parts, you know, it's still going to be the same. Your, your technician's still got to save it. Um, but the paper and, and all the data associated with it, like if that can automatically draw and, take proper snapshots like that would save a ton of time well i mean think about it think if you had at your fingertips the, the work order histories the, the specs on it the uh the uh, operating procedures uh the training records of who worked on it last i mean if, if all that was at your fingertips it would make doing rca a lot easier uh and uh you know and you, and you got the cmms's you, you need uh, the, the deliverable of an rca effort is going to be the uh the corrective actions so uh, somehow you got to get it out of an RCA system and into a CMS to to get that work done. 
but uh, you know there's a uniqueness to that too because at least the way we do rca a lot of the recommendations are related to uh deficient uh management systems and and typically cmms's are designed for re executing repairs so uh you know there has to be some alterations and some accommodations and planning and scheduling too so that they get some type of priority uh, but you know, it's it's the systems that are going to fix the problems, uh, as opposed to replacing a part or fixing it again. So uh, yeah. you know, there, there's nuances like that uh, from a systems view that I, you know that's a particular interest to me, as opposed to blocks and lines on craft paper and you know sitting in a, in a classroom uh, conference room saying you know we we built this expression of logic. <laughs> The stuff yeah, that makes you, there's the stuff that makes your tree stand up. I mean, uh, you know, abs absent yeah. the evidence to prove what you say, it's uh, you're going to end up with a Charlie Brown tree. Yeah. Well, and you can, you know, I, I keep telling people, and I don't know if they listen or sometimes I'm just talking at them, but um, I think I've been hanging out with you too much, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the I, I keep talking to people about it that, like, we can't just you know, the, the thing that breaks, that is just the symptom of the overall issue. And the, and the overall issue, like, you know, you have your, your failure mechanisms, you know, um, even your physical root causes, like those are just, like you're just scratching the surface. And if you solve just that one, you solve just that one. If you start to move down into the systemic or latent area, then you're going to solve a whole lot of other ones because they're going to be part of however many failure trees that um that are out there like if you have problems with equipment reliability on mobile equipment you know if you solve something in your planning and scheduling that's gonna that's gonna um roll down to all the equipment that's planned and scheduled not just the one piece right yeah well i mean because systems aren't made for one person to follow <clears throat> so just because somebody tapped off of that or that one and made a bad decision and, and you leave the system there the, the root uh, that, that particular route, then there's going to be other people that are, are going to prone to do the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's the, uh, it's the consistency and the accuracy of the systems, which influences people's ability to make good decisions. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, uh, I, I could view in, in certain organizations, uh, RCAs as really system, uh, system finders, because what it identifies a lot is where we have inefficient and uh, insufficient or a non-existent system. So it's, it's kind of like a gap filler for, you know, where we need to shore up our systems because they've become obsolete. Uh, you know, we never updated them and, you know, people are still following them. Unfortunately, unless you do the RCAs down to that level, you're not going to find it. If you're just going to, you know, if you use if you use RCA as a weapon and you blame people, they're not going to tell you uh, because you don't care about the, the, the system that they were following. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, RCA is a lot. Uh, there's, a, a, there's a, I don't know, I wouldn't say predominant mentality is uh, when, you're, when you're blaming people, but people perceive RCA as uh, being caused by people. And, uh, and the reality is uh, a true RCA should represent that it should really start with a person and say that they, they've been uh, let down by their systems. They're victims of their systems. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so like when you're looking at that, uh, and I think I like what you said, um, it was almost like an RCA is a, a gap analysis for a system. So, you know, the failure is just where that gap has expressed itself and we need to go in and close close that gap. Um, and we're th- when we're thinking about, you know, the systems that lead to failure and the people involved, like, uh, you know, not blaming them obviously is key, but how do you get them more motivated to join in? Because it's, you know, everybody's defensive about it. Um, something broke. The technicians are worried that they missed something. So they're going to get throw up roadblocks. And, you know, we talk about that human side a lot. And how do you improve that system uh, to, to allow the, the people to feel more comfortable with it? Well, one, one, one way is if you find a progressive management, you're doing RCA and why people feel that way. <laughs> because That'd be you know, wild. Well, I mean, if you think if you were able to do that and you're in a room and, uh, you know, everybody uh, leaves it at the door, there's, you leave your titles at the door and there's, there's guaranteed no repercussions. And, you know, it's just one, like psychologically safe zones uh, that you can go in. And uh, if people were able to be honest about it, uh, you would uncover all the reasons that they uh, they would don't say anything. I mean, you're only shooting yourself in the foot when you when you uh, quiet people up, and then they, they just you know it's a nine to five job, and they go home, and uh, you know they use their creativity and their innovation outside the plant, and I'm just a mechanical robot, a human robot. When I come to work, I'll I'll do nothing more, or nothing less than you tell me to do. And that's, uh, you know, you're, you're wasting your money with that person because you're not getting that creativity out of them and you're suppressing it. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the, fir- the first time, you know, if, if you were a new plant manager coming in and you had a culture like that and you wanted to, to truly change it, first of all, you know, policies and, and procedures would change uh, to that effect. But you, you would want, uh, the first time you had a chance to discipline somebody uh, under normal circumstances, you would not do that, and you would publicly not do that. You would say that, uh, and you would admit that the organization has a, a, was a contributing factor to this particular undesirable outcome, whatever it is, uh, because you know our systems failed this person, and they made the wrong decision. You know, there's a... There's a uh, uh, a big influencer in healthcare. You know, I spent a couple decades in healthcare doing this. His name is Dr. Lucian Leap, and he, he's he's the kind that uh, that lobbies Congress for better patient safety laws. Uh, and he's a really uh, smart guy. And uh, he, he said the the only way you're going to uh, increase uh, patient safety in, in the U.S. is to quit punishing people for making mistakes. And that's while it's a simple statement, it's right. I mean, if that's if that's your your go-to, uh, then nobody's going to talk to you. You're never going to get the truth if you, if the thing is automatic punishment because you made a bad decision, as opposed to you're trying to figure out why people made the bad decision and you're actually interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've always been so so interested hearing about the the work you've done in the healthcare system and, and like, cause it, it really is, it's the same concepts. Like, uh, and I think we get bogged down a lot between, um, 
you know, what's applicable between industries. But, you know, I always go back to, you know, I think, and I think you've told it on this podcast a couple of times, you've got your story about the blood draws and how much money was saved uh, because of incorrect blood draws and things like that. Like these little things that people don't understand, these little tasks that you have to, you know, take an extra 15 minutes or something and the actual impact of those. And, you know, most places that I've been anyways, will have RCAs set at a, some high dollar figure before they'll actually do one. Um, and to actually do one on any sort of chronic issue is, it's just not done. Well, you know, that, that's a good point. And, I, and I'm working with an organization now on, on setting triggers. Is that, you know, the, the, the traditional way you set triggers is it's, it's too late <laughs> because you, you hurt somebody, you killed somebody, you lost a million dollars, you lost a... a a big piece of equipment uh, production beyond a certain amount, but uh, I, I'm a firm believer that if you if you want to have any essence of uh, proaction in, involved in that, is that one of your triggers should be just what you said. It's, it should be the annual cost per year of a particular failure, uh, so that it would it would take into account frequency times uh, the sum of the impacts per occurrence, and then that would take all those chronic things. That, that don't rise by themselves to a level of a trigger, uh, but collectively over a year's time, they, they would. And that you would do an RCA based on the, uh, the annual impact as opposed to the individual impact. Yeah, so, so like it's, uh, you're taking that pyramid of there's so many uh, um, near misses before you get so many first aids before, but you're trying to tackle it at like, let's solve the near misses or, or the lower levels of that pyramid so, because if we reduce the total number of those, then we're not going to get to those numbers that yeah, result in the fatality it, and major incidents. And your your experience with RCAs, do, do you ever find any revelations? I mean, when you get to the bottom, it's it's, uh, it's, it's things that everybody knew about. It's just that 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 day there was something new in the mix, and uh, it, all of a sudden that combination uh, bit you. But there's, uh, there's rarely things that I find that are going, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, you know, they're all they become common practices uh, uh, over time where people take shortcuts uh, uh, and nothing bad happens. So that, they, they, that, that erodes your standard that you had in the first place. Nobody's watching that standard erode because you're getting pats on the back because you're getting more production for taking the shortcuts. <laughs> but every everybody knows it, and then the, then the, then the poor guy who uh, uh, the one day that the shortcut doesn't work because something else was introduced to the mix, we, we go ahead and we discipline him or her, and, and then you're sitting there saying, "What a hypocrite!" <laughs> because I, I've been doing it this way for five years, you've been watching me, and Harry does the same thing, and Joe does the same thing. You're just trying to be a scapegoat and making you a scapegoat. Yeah. And, you know, every time I go through the process, it comes down to training. They didn't, weren't trained properly in either how to use the equipment or, or how to maintain it. It's again, production pressures. And like, it's, it's usually the outcomes are the same. And so I, I get a little tired of doing them sometimes. Cause I'm like, I know the results. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we didn't fix it from the last time we figured out it was a problem. So what's going to change this time? If you, if you Googled uh, the hierarchy of interventional effectiveness, 
uh, it would it would show a, a really good graph that I use in a lot of my classes that shows that at the bottom of the totem pole, uh, tra tra uh, training and uh, fixing procedures is the is the least in, in, uh, effective intervention. <laughs> and, and, and it's the go-to because 80, I guarantee you 80 to 90% of all RCAs, that's it. But at, at the bottom, that's what yeah. you're going to find. Uh, and, and those don't, those are particularly address uh, people, but they don't address systems. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I, I think that there's, uh, and, and there's technologies that you can put in place to prevent people from doing things and uh, mistake proofing and all, all of that kind of stuff. But uh you know, if you're going through the motions with RCA, just to say you did one, uh, I, I was with an organization recently. I said, you know, what, one of the biggest problems with RCA, uh, I don't, I don't blame the people who do bad RCAs as much as I do the people that accept them. And, and I think that the people that accept them are people who don't know what a good RCA is, and they don't know how they don't know how to uh, assess it. When people are presenting it to them, they don't know how to question the, the quality of the RCA. And I think of managers, if you gave them an hour's worth of training and, uh, and, and like a report card that they could use to, to, to go through that. Because if you want to raise the bar on your RCA quality, then start start rejecting them. So when somebody comes in and they give you something and it's based all on, uh, or majority is based on hearsay, then, you know, ask for proof. So how do you know that? How do you know that that's the case? And why, why are you running down this rabbit hole? Uh, because once you reject them for a certain uh, uh, element of the RCA that doesn't reach meet their standard, the next time they come back, they're not going to come back with that same thing. They're not going to be caught with that same deficiency. So slowly, you, you'll be raising the bar on that by rejecting RCIs that are less than uh, uh, adequate. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great tip, and um, definitely something we need to do more a eh? you know and, and i get frustrated by it because just we really get hung up on the anecdotal evidence of somebody uh, or the i've worked here for 40 years so i know how this happened yep well it's like okay that's fine that's good intuition but you still gotta prove it <laughs> like you've been doing it wrong for 40 years yeah <laughs> like we're still having the failure so uh, something, something's missing here. Yeah, you don't end up being a most popular guy when you always say prove it, but that's the only way you actually get to the, the proper root cause. Or, you know, sometimes you get lucky, you might go down the right rabbit hole, but um, no, you need that. You need that yeah. proof every time. Even people like that, that uh, if, you, if you question the, the proof of that, those are typically the same, very same people who will request proof from other people when they say stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy with that. Uh, you know, on, on that topic as well, in looking at RCA as a system versus a task, uh, another area that I'm writing about is the, uh, the institutionalization of, of that knowledge into the, the, the templates so that when, uh, you know, when you're capturing all of that logic, uh, all of your people, I mean, uh, I suspect it's... Uh, true in Canada too, is it's really hard to get quality people uh, to work uh, and to show up and to, to do work, at least here in the US. Uh, but you know, when, when, you're, when your boomers are gonna all retire now, 
and you're you're going to lose all those skills because that all, all your good problem solvers, all that stuff's in their head. It, it, uh, most people don't have a way of getting how they solve problems out of their head. And those so those RCA solutions that are out there are ways of capturing how that how did they solve those problems? Uh, because when they're gone, and they're not they're not there, and, and you have all the new the young folks coming in, and they're not going to know how they did it. So uh, institutionalizing that knowledge should be a, a priority to people right now before those people leave. I mean, if I was running a plant and I and you know who your uh, best problem solvers are, the quality ones. Uh, I, I would have them be building uh, RCA templates all day long before they before they leave, uh, just so that you have that reservoir of, uh, of logic and talent and knowledge, so that you can just do searches in the future. On you know, we have this problem. How did Harry solve that? Well, come on. Then we can't hire them back as very expensive consultants once they <laughs> leave. Like that's what pays for retirement. <laughs> this is true. I, I know. I know a lot of double dippers and uh, hey, more power to them. If, if you can do it, if you can get away with it, do it. <laughs> uh, I, I don't see where, you know, and that, that, that's, that's, uh, that, that's telling too, uh, because uh, as a strategy for leadership, you, you shouldn't have vulnerabilities like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> me and a friend of mine on another board, he, he calls it getting, getting hit by the beer truck. <laughs> You know, if, I'm, if I'm getting hit by the beer truck and uh, you know, where's my backup or who can stand in and do that? I mean, we, we should look at the vulnerabilities of that with our, with our key people and say, you know, what, what happened if uh, if they got hit by that beer truck or they just opted to uh, retire or to go to somebody else? How do you fill uh, the gap? Yeah. Well, actually, one of the other things I'm, I'm noticing, too, is a lot of um, boomers that decide to retire just genuinely don't like retirement and would much rather be working. And so like uh, we've hired a few people that have retired and just like they were uh, the one that sticks out to me is maintenance manager, big company um, and wasn't cliff, <laughs> um, <laughs> but maintenance manager for a big company and just decided he just wanted to do like kind of more like the, reliability and maintenance engineering type type role for for a few years before he really did his retirement and uh how many of these guys they retire and then they're they're still interested in doing some work and so you know whether you hire them back as consultant or not and for whatever high price but you know at least having that resource there and at a, at a part-time level if you miss the boat there's the potential to to bring them back and you know keep doing uh, building these these trees and, and cause maps and, and stuff with them uh, proactively. So I, th I think, it, uh, I think there's generational issues there, you know, at work ethic and things of that nature. But I, I, I believe that people just uh, at my age, they, they just, you know, you're, you're planning out the last uh, 30 of your life and uh, you just want to have fun. You just, you don't want to be held to a strict schedule. You want to have flexibility in what you do. You want to be able to go on vacations when you want to go on vacations. But you know, you, you also don't want to let your mind go to rest uh, because you, you want you want to keep your uh, your ticker going uh, in, in terms of being able to keep your mind uh, involved. So you know, it's uh, I 
not that I haven't always done it that way, but I mean, <laughs> if it's not fun, I just don't want to do it. I... <laughs> no, that's, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was in university and hearing from a guy, he's like, and he was talking about his, his career. He was a safety, safety engineer, did lots of safety investigations and stuff. And it's like, yeah, no, I never, anytime I decided I didn't like my job, I quit. And so it's like, I only ever worked somewhere for three years. And I'm like, you know, to have the, there's a certain skill set because that's obviously not available to everybody, depending on how hireable you are. But, you know, right now we talk about it and, you know, you hear Rob, Rob talking his leadership launch pad and stuff. And, you know, if you're that unhappy with your work, just, just leave. Like right now, as you said, finding people right now is difficult, particularly skilled people. So it's the same in Canada. I've heard it's the same in Australia. Um, so at least those areas that kind of covers the majority of our listeners, like if you're looking, if you're not happy, look somewhere else. But you got to, you know, you almost need to do a root cause analysis on why you're unhappy with it, right? Like what's, what's actually making you unhappy with your job? Is it, and if you go somewhere else, is it going to be the exact same thing? Um, So um, just to jump topics a little bit, because I know you and Sonia Mathura have recently released a new book. What, what is it and what's it about? Well, you, anybody who knows me and Sonia knows she's the brainchild of this operation. So she, <laughs> this is, a, you know, the fun, fun thing about root cause is that it's not an industry specific thing. It's, it's more critical thinking that, that is applied to any undesirable outcome. So I, I can just take that thought process. It's a thought process to me. Uh, I can take that thought process of where you're, you you have seeming chaos and you're breaking it down into manageable elements and then you drill down past the physics, past the human uh, decision maker, and you uncover systems problems. You, know, you can apply that to any discipline. And that's really where, you know, me and Sonia have been friends for a very long time. And what we did was we broke that down into the uh, the six primary lubrication degradation mechanisms. And uh, so all we did was we really created uh, in that book six, six templates for the uh, those lubrication degradation mechanisms. Now, uh, you know, uh, she obviously that's her bailiwick and that, that's uh, she understands the uh, the physics of all of that. And, you know, we we tacked we tacked on to the bottom of that how systems contribute to the manifestation of those degradation mechanisms. So you know, it's another uh, it's a focus book. I think it comes out sometime uh, December, I think. But she, you know, she she she's the creative <laughs> whiz in that, and she uh, uh, I don't know how she gets so much work done in such a little bit of time, but uh, she she's certainly a uh, a creative and innovative person with the energy that I wish she could sell because I'd buy some energy. I know she. I... Um, I can't keep up, you know, we've done a couple things together now and I'm like, I just don't know where you get the energy to do everything that you do. Uh, but no, that sounds, that sounds, I, still, I, still, I don't think Luke Marino is human. I think, I think he's some kind of alien because he, he lives off of only about two hours sleep a night. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, I, I don't understand. I've got two kids and the third one on the way. I just, 
more anything more than this podcast i'm like i don't i don't think i can handle that that's just too much like i know you you talked to me about you know writing a book and sonia's talked to me about a couple things and i'm like i just i don't have the energy <laughs> it is it, it, it'll suck it out of you and again you shouldn't uh and i'm you know i'm a victim of doing this to myself but you, yeah. you shouldn't commit to more uh where it doesn't make it fun so uh, yeah. because if it, once once you, you commit to so many things and then it becomes a stressor it defeats the purpose uh but you know there's a lot of people me, me included where you uh, uh a lot of people ask you know want you to be a part of something which you you know you, you always want to be a, a team player uh, you want to be on board and you, you know you, you're the type of people that just can't say no but but sometimes you, you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, that, but that book sounds, sounds fascinating. I love, love to, uh, obviously I started kind of my reliability roots there in, uh, in lubrication. Um, and, and it's funny as you go through and when you, when you do RCAs and stuff, how little lubrication actually comes up or at the same time, how over, dominant it is in in an analysis like it's either one or the other it's completely disregarded as not possible and or we want to blame everything on it because then it pushes the blame onto onto somebody else and so it's always always interesting i'm really excited like uh, sonia's book is is great and i'm really excited to for that tie into actually understanding failures as it's related to lubrication so it's a fun topic that, that 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 book really should be, and it was intended to be a field reference guide that you you could you could pull out any of those uh, troubleshooting flow diagrams in there and, and just map out a uh, if, if you experience this particular mechanism lubrication mechanism, then it'll it'll tell you exactly what to look for, and you you just do the verifications and then you know you, you use a use a highlighter and go down there and then you know see which ones apply. So it, it, uh, it really, and, and that for anybody who's got any RCA type of program, I mean, you could take that logic out of there and just make templates in your RCA program. Uh, and, and that would be something that's consist- a consistent standard for troubleshooting uh, lubrication degradation mechanism. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I, I'm really excited for that book um, and that process because it is something that's missing. Like finding a good, good reference guide for that is, you know, it's not that the knowledge isn't there. It's just, just scattered about. And, you know, you look out, you you try to find information, um, but it's not, it doesn't change. And, you know, all the templates that you, you had an easy RCA and, and ProAct and, and uh, the software that, that you built all those templates, it's like, there's only so many ways something fails it's not it, it's not this every analysis is going to be entirely different there's there's standard things that happen that's that's the beauty of the physics side of going down is because you know physics doesn't change that much so when i when i'm looking at how can something of uh, a, a equipment or component level fail there's really a, a range of, of finite answers to that now that that range kind of broadens when you get down into the human stuff because the range of behaviors is uh, a lot uh, more unpredictable, uh, you know, depending on who you're you're talking to and the environment that they're in. 
we do know that humans are reliably unreliable, though. So <laughs> we're, we're we're certain of that. I, I, I'm gonna, hold on, and I, I want to give. Uh, can I do a, a quick book les- lesson? Absolutely. I get some props here. <laughs> as soon as I find them out, where they are. All right. CRC Press. I don't know. They'll, they'll either love me or hate me for this one. All right. This is what is called a focus book, and it was what uh, Sonia's first book was, and what the next this, this lubrication one we're talking about. Yeah, is will be similar to this, but. These are very small books, which means that they they uh, they, they can be read quickly in a, in a sitting. But they're also there's no fluff. There's not not a lot of theory in this. But this is a like a quick reference guide for the field. Okay, and uh, to be honest, I'm not really sure what what these cost, but uh, I don't know. So say fifty or sixty bucks, whatever they are. Now, this is the fifth edition of our other book and this is the hard copy now this particular book is like 120 bucks and that's not me on the cover that's a that's that's an sure that that baby growing on the cover yeah i just assumed bob that that was uh um at least you or one of your brothers now that my 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 diapers were much bigger so uh, And the, the news that I'm coming up with this is this is the same book, which is paperback. And yeah. the paperback is like 50 bucks. <laughs> and the other, the hardback is like 120. Yeah. Cardboard's <laughs> I, expensive. I don't know why, but uh, if I were you, I would get the soft, <laughs> the soft cover one as opposed to the hardcover one. And th- these, uh, you know, for what they're, whatever your top whether it's the lubrication one or an rca one but these are the kind for a quick read used in the field and as a reference so that's my uh crc book tour (laughs) so you had in there the first one was your your rca pro act quick reference guide um which which is the one you said could is good for just a sitting then you've got your your root cause analysis fifth edition i think i've only got your fourth edition on my shelf need to yep. update um and uh so you got the hard cover and soft cover and for whatever reason the soft cover is half the price <laughs> yes and uh if i was joke public i would be buying the soft cover <laughs> because it's uh it's a lot less expensive and the content is exactly the same it just you can't knock on the cover and hear it <laughs> I don't know. There, there's always something about reading a hardcover book that that I like more, but I don't know if I like it for fifty dollars more. Yeah, well, but uh, I, I'm not going to go against your personal preference. But <laughs> trying to to be economical for the for everybody out there who's exploring what type of book that they would like to buy. These books, I've like, I've got, I think most of most of them at this point, um, and the ones that you write and the ones that Sonia writes are very are grounded in reality a lot more and I find that they're like I got more out of being a reliability engineer reading your book on RCA than I did about getting reading the reliability engineer one of the other books there because it's just it's the bringing it back to reality and getting out of that 
like there's the theory portion of it, but it's also like, how do you practically implement something? And that's what I really loved about your book is it gives you the tools to practically implement something and gives you what you need to talk about it. And yeah, anyways, talking to you, Bob, I don't know if I would have ever thought you're, you're, you're a good writer, but (laughs) your book definitely proves it otherwise. That's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, you know, my, my English teachers in school would not say that I was a good writer either. Uh, when, when I, when I got it, into this, I'm, I'm not, first of all, I'm not bright enough to write a complicated book. And when we were uh, doing, the first book came out in 1999. And back then, uh, Ken and I were probably traveling 80% of the time. And, uh, you know, it was just week after week, and we were delivering a lot of the same courses. So, I mean, it just became, uh, you, you know, it's one of those situations, you didn't know what city you were in, and, and whether the joke you told in this class uh, was one you told in the other class. You know, you, you got it all conflated because you, you, you kept saying the same thing over and over. Sort of like the, the news people in the morning when they're doing the weather. So when, when, when we're doing that, uh, it was not hard to write the first book. Because it was really essentially, uh, we, we, at least I write the same way that I teach. So uh, it was, all I did was had to take, well, was what I was teaching in that class and I, and I wrote it out. So, uh, you know, in the, the practical examples and the experience with the people in the classes and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I, I just find that uh, even with, a, with Prelical now, uh, practical reliability. It's it, if it's not if it's not practical, then uh, you know I don't want to read it either. I don't like reading books that uh, that are a ton of theory and don't, and don't end with telling me how to do something that's uh, that I can do. G- giving uh, not not an ideal working environment, but my working environment. You know my my working environment is not perfect. I, I don't have leadership's buy-in on everything. I, I don't have cooperation from different departments. Uh, so, you know, don't tell me about that, that world uh, uh, that's out there that's like a unicorn uh, manufacturing plant because, uh, uh, you know, that's not where I live. So uh, that, 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 I appreciate the compliment because uh, I strive hard to be practical, uh, but it, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm smart enough to be impractical <laughs> is what I'll get at. <laughs> that's, that's the only way that I understand it. I did. Uh, Ken will get uh, ticked off here, Steve, because uh, you know, as a one-person company, we, we we did have our hats made. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm still waiting. Um, I got to get some maintenance disrupted hats made. You know, Michelle uh, Lede, Michelle Henley Lede Henley, yeah. a good friend of mine. <laughs> she she and I agree that uh, you know whenever whenever I speak at a conference and I see people in the audience wearing a hat, I know I'm home. <laughs> If I if I see a bunch of suits, uh, I'm probably in the wrong crowd. <laughs> so I, I just I don't I don't feel comfortable uh, having to wear a, a suit and tie and, and going in to be something that uh, somebody wants me to be. But uh, you know, I'm no slave to fashion. But this is pretty much it. <laughs> what you see? Hey, nothing wrong with that. Whatever. Whatever is most comfortable, and you get the job done, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, nobody nobody hires me for fashion, that's for sure. <laughs> Just got to make sure everything's covered, right? Um, <laughs> oh, that's great, Bob. Um, we are running short on time, um, so I'll give you 
you know, we had a lot of, I think, plugs for, for what you've got going on throughout. Uh, like we've got, you know, you're working with your brother, Ken at Prelical Reliability. No, that's not what it is. It's just Prelical. Um, it's Prelical Solutions. But the Prelical Solutions. That is, it's P-R-E-L-I-C-A-L, Prelical, uh, Prelical.com. Practical reliability. Um, Prelical. No <laughs> so I'll put that link in the description. You've got your new book coming out, which obviously there's no link for that yet because it's not out. Um, and and I'll put some links to your other books in there as well. So um, is there anything else you got going on? Any other conferences or anything else coming up? I think, Steve, the, the, the pre-orders are up on... CRC. So if you did look up the uh, lubrication degradation one, uh, that it, there, there should be a page, uh, a placeholder on there for pre-orders. Uh, and 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 Sonia would know for sure, <laughs> as opposed to me. Uh, I yeah, I'll uh, I'll pull it off there and put it in the link if I can find it. I'm I'm uh, heading to uh, SMRP next week. I'm doing a uh, presentation there, and a uh, me me and Luke are teaming up. To uh, do a uh, what do you call it the uh, the short courses the four hour things workshops. oh the workshops yeah yeah and uh, we're we're gonna demonstrate there about using the maintenance task analysis to identify candidates for RCA uh, then we're gonna go through and take that that case that's generated from NTA and put it into uh, do an analysis on RCA and then spit it out. The recommendations uh, and let the level of operation, uh, level of repair analysis, the LoRa that he does, uh, teach people how to uh, prioritize. Uh, you know which which recommendations you should be doing. So uh, oh, yeah. that, that'll, that'll be fun. That that sounds like a great course. It's uh, I wish I was able to attend this year, um, and I would definitely be attending that one. So I'll. Uh, I'll see if I can find that on the SMRP website and put the link there as well. So if you're going to SMRP, make sure you check out Bob's workshop. And Lucas is always a great time as well. Um, I think it was the SMP, SMRP symposium where I met Bob and uh, over a few beers, got to know him pretty well. <laughs> That's usually the way most people meet me. And, <laughs> and I, I believe we were, we were in an excellent rib joint in Memphis, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We stayed in that weird pyramid and um, that uh, and yeah, some good Memphis barbecue. So one one day we'll we'll our paths will cross again, hopefully yep. in that place with a, just as good of food. We'll have, we'll have a reunion and uh, there will be golden beverages involved. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Bob. Always great to have you on the show and uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. Uh, thanks for the opportunity again, Steve. Take care.